Hello and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This, is, this show is presented to you by Gasolet Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes with your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gasolitfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter to state dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. I'm your host, Adam Gaslowitz, and I'm here with my partner, Robert Port. And today we're talking about sophisticated uses of credit, because credit is not a four-letter word. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We are pleased to have with us today Alan Hamer, Senior Vice President, Private Client Manager with Bank of America Private Bank, and Itai Tsur, Senior Vice President, Private Client Advisor with Bank of America Private Bank. So, uh, Alan and Itai, let's get started by having each of you give uh, our listeners a brief overview of your background and uh, your particular uh, expertise. Let's start with you first, Alan. Thank you. Uh, Again, my name's Alan Hamer. I've been with Bank of America 24 years in banking right out of college. I'll say 30 plus. That's close (laughs) enough. Long time. Uh, On everything from uh, retail, managing the branches, uh, to being a, a manager in what we called our middle mass affluent market, did that probably for about 10, 15 years, and then the last 10 or so have been in the private bank. We're one time we're a U.S. trust. We've rebranded to Bank of America Private Bank, but for the most part, I, I sort of holistically take care of the the client, the families that we have here that uh, are more on the wealthy side. I'd say. And is is that both of you are with <coughs> Bank of America Private Bank? Does the private bank connote? Um, folks with uh, greater means and, and net worth? Yeah, we, we try to pick out the folks that usually probably have a net worth of about three plus million uh, for the most part. They need special handling or they want to want us to look at them uh, from a little different perspective. So. Okay. And Itai, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and your expertise. Sure. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, so my background uh, is initially as an attorney, uh, so I, I don't practice anymore, but I uh, parlayed that into <clears throat> into working in, um, in the nonprofit space, and then I uh, ended up in what's called plan giving and endowment. In fact, I was many years ago on this show in a different capacity when I was running the Jewish Foundation here in Atlanta. And so my my expertise is in sort of the strategic and structural uses of charitable giving for tax and other purposes. Ultimately, of course, with the aim of uh, fulfilling the the donors' uh, desire to kind of give to the causes that are important to them and their families. Um, and then I've since moved over uh, to the private bank, so Alan and I are on a team together, so I not only apply my background in charitable giving, but I work understanding sort of the broader needs and um, really the complexities uh, of the individuals who we work with or we're, you know, we're trying to work with, and, um, and that's you know, why we're here today talking about credit. Okay, right. so um, the topic of the show is sophisticated uses of credit. Um, and as Adam indicated, some people might think credit is a four-letter word. Can you tell our <laughs> listeners why that is not the case? Well, it's or, or, or even tell them what credit is. <laughs> so <laughs> what, is, what it's, is credit? It's five letters. So that's that's a kind of uh, a, that's the way I, I would think, explain it I think it's it six kids. letters, actually. C-R-E-I-D-T. All right, it's a right. fact. All right, there you go. Missing a finger. Um, it's, I think the issue is that people automatically associate credit with you know, I, I need something I don't have currently the assets for it or the, you know, the money for it, I have to take out a loan, right? So I have a mortgage in my mind, okay, the, you know, the bank still has, has a certain percentage of my house that it owns. That isn't for many of us who aspire to kind of, to not have those worries and to be able to sort of have um, uh, this kind of self-realization that, you know, we can do what we want to do. 
that sort of a weighs down, right? And so, so I think well, the credit implies debt. Right? That's exactly right, yeah. right? And, and, and so we you have to pay it back. Yeah, yeah. and it right. implies that you are beholden to someone, right? That that's I mean that is I think for many people that's kind of the specter that sort of is floating out there when you're trying to talk to them about it. But what we're seeing increasingly with our clientele and when we talk to advisors such as yourselves and others is that credit really is just one other facet of an individual's wealth strategy. No different than having an equity portfolio, having fixed income. There is a space for credit, especially in an environment such as this where interest rates are at historic lows. And there's you know what we call an arbitrage, an ability to take advantage of the ability, you know, if you have $100,000, right, and you could put it in the market and gain 5%, right? Or you could um, take out a loan where it's going to cost you 2.5%. You know, there, there's money to be made in the margin. So it's not, you know, it, 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 it unlocks opportunities. And I think that is sort of where we're seeing increasingly people tra- taking advantage sort of this credit environment, understanding that, you know, it's not necessarily debt. In many cases, they can just pay off, you know, the, the whatever they've borrowed in the event that you know, they need to. Um, it really is just leveraging um, leveraging your money towards its best use. So, we're not, so we're, we're not just talking about borrowing money for the sake of having cheap money. We're talking no, about specific no. uses, people who have specific uses, specific right. needs, and they could use their own assets or they could borrow money. Right. So a lot of our clients, we talked about this, uh, they want to have a portfolio that's diverse. Like Itai said, there may be, they may have equities, they may have bonds. They also want, want to have real estate. They want to have what we call investor real estate. They may want to buy a warehouse. They may want to buy a hotel, uh, whatever it is. If they can diversify out of the equity market and get a hedge, how do they purchase those real estates? You know, we mentioned earlier that rates are historically cheap. Mm. If you can do a loan at you know three, three and a half percent in something that, uh, like a hotel or a uh, industrial park or even a multifamily that's that's giving back a capital return of six, seven percent, you're ahead, and it diversifies diversifies the individual so that he's not all in equities. He now has a portfolio that's not re- reliant completely on the market. So instead of liquidating his equities and, and using those um, proceeds to buy real estate, he right. would borrow money, what, against the portfolio? He could do that. That's one source. Uh, that's probably the cheapest source of borrowing money is, is what we call a margin loan. And the rates today, you know, with LIBOR being, we use the one-month LIBOR rate, and that rate is about 2.1%. So on a, on a typical, if we lend against a multifamily property will probably spread spread the rate between the LIBOR and our actually what we call cost of funds for the bank, say two to three percent over that LIBOR. So if we do a spread of two, we're at you know four percent for someone to buy a multifamily property. Uh, and, and just so, for, for purposes of our listeners, okay. <laughs> tell, tell everybody what LIBOR is. Okay, so LIBOR is, a, the, uh, the, I don't know the acronym of it, the Inter- International LIBOR, Le- International London Exchange Rate. London uh, International... Interbank, Bank, yeah, op- it's like it's like the prime rate, okay. um, and it's there's different rates that are used for folks that have equity lines, what they call HELOCs. It's prime rates that's used. They spread it over prime. On the more sophisticated credits, such as the ones that we offer, we we base it on LIBOR. Um, it's just another index that's used. So you you used a couple of words, both of you, when you were explaining um, this approach. You used a couple of words that may not be familiar to everyone. One was arbitrage. Right. And the other was hedge. So can each of you or one of you just quickly give our listeners a a definition of what each of those means? Because you've actually given examples of that as you've described it. But 
I want to be sure our listeners understand. Yeah. Let, let me talk about arbitrage for a moment, because we've had a number of clients over the years, especially since 2008, when the Fed basically dropped interest rates to near zero. So you had a, you had a situation where LIBOR was 0.25, and we had a client or two that had taxes due, okay. they, whether it was from deferred comp or whatever. They were, had to pay estimated taxes fourth quarter. We had a client that owed about a million and a half in taxes. He had it in the bank. He could have paid it off. Uh, he was approached by our team, and we sat down with him and explained that you could pay it off, that million and a half, or you could, in a sense, borrow. He had another portfolio that was not touched. You could take that portfolio, he had about five million at the time, and borrow against it at LIBOR plus one and a quarter. He was all in, one and a half percent. Now, we never guarantee what the portfolio is going to return. We can't do that. We're a fiduciary. That's not the way we work. Some years, as you know, the market's up. Some years, like in 2008, it goes down. But a lot, a lot of times the client knows that they can do more with the money than... Right, right, right. yes. The, so in this particular case, he wasn't aware that he could borrow against his portfolio to pay taxes. So we offered this strategy, saying that we don't know how long rates are going to be near zero, but why not take advantage of this, given that if the market can return 5 6% or more, you're ahead. And it turned out over the last... 11 years? I mean, he's probably made an average of 10 to 15% in his portfolio while paying cost of funds probably 2 to 3. Right. And, an, and another benefit of that would be if he had to liquidate any of his portfolio, while we don't give tax advice, right. there's a possibility of some uh, capital gains consequences if he were to liquidate right. part of his portfolio to pay a tax bill. Yeah, that's a, that's a big factor for a lot of clients, especially if they're buying other assets so they can leverage their portfolio versus cashing in. You know, that, that is a big consideration. So it's almost like you're, you're comparing the, the cost of the loan to the opportunity cost of what they could do with that's the exactly, money. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Adam, you had sort of just um, earlier had asked about <clears throat> keeping getting cheap money for the sake of cheap money. There are people who are doing that. That's sort of there's this concept of you know, dry powder. Right? It's this idea that we don't know what's going to happen to the market. Uh, the, the cost of keeping a couple million, a couple hundred thousand, whatever it is on the side is again at historic lows. Maybe I can leverage whatever the asset is, if it's you know my, my portfolio. We'll talk about other assets that people can use uh, here in a minute. Um, but maybe I'm gonna keep some of this cash on hand to take advantage of a downturn, right? Because you know, there's an old saying that goes back to the Great Depression, fortunes are made and lost you know, in, in, in these sort of financial crises. And for those who have the cash on hand, um, you can you can buy sort of at the at the basement and then just let it kind of float up again. And right. That's that's another phrase that's often used in the financial world that lay people may not understand, which is keeping dry powder, right. which is having either the liquidity or, or quick access to liquidity. Is that essentially? Yeah, I mean, basically, the right. It, it comes from naval warfare and the idea that you needed to to protect your your gunpowder in order to quickly uh, employ it in the event of conflict, right? So in this case, we're talking about your assets, your cash, and if you want to take advantage of an opportunity. And really, for a lot of our clients, for a lot of the people who could be our clients or who are generally sort of that, that you know, in that, in that tier and have that um, flexibility with, with what they can do with their assets, um, taking advantage of opportunities on a relatively sort of short basis because, you know, they're very sophisticated, their advisors are sort of 
encouraging them to take advantage of certain strategies. You know, the timing is critical for many of these individuals, and having that cash on hand really can be the difference. I, I, I assume your clients are the ones who, who know what they can and can't do with their own money. You're not, <coughs> you don't need to tell them. They know that they need to do something, and they need other resources to be able to do something else with those. Right, that's a good point. Most of our clients are either C-suite executives or they're business owners. Uh, we do have some trust babies, as we call them, but for the most part, the folks that are using credit are sophisticated. However, if we can provide them a means of getting cheap money and, and, and enable them to buy what they want, or as we mentioned earlier, diversifying their portfolio as a hedge, uh, folks are always looking to say, what can I do to do something different to offset all the equities or bonds that I have? Yes, yeah, it's yeah. also a lot, a lot of concern yeah. uh, people have about paying taxes. And right. I imagine that if you're going to either borrow money or, or, or use y your portfolio, you've got to liquidate something, which generally means paying capital gains right. tax on the gain. Uh, whereas if you're leaving the portfolio intact and borrowing money, you may pay interest on it, but portfolio is doing better, you're not paying the tax, and you can still do the other thing that you need to do. Plus, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right, and that was uh, one of the other factors is, you know, these more complex portfolios, <clears throat> if you simply pull out a piece, it actually, I mean, there is a stasis, right, that exists with the way that they have been designed by you know, professional uh, investors who, who kind of look holistically at at the individuals or the families, uh, entities, investments, and so simply saying, okay, I'm just now going to sell, you know, hundred thousand dollars for my large cap equity position, means you have to reset everything else. So it's actually, it's not simply just, you know, it's it's like a Jenga puzzle. You got to rebalance it. You got to rebalance it. You have to rebalance it, right? And then there's there's effort there too, and it may or may not be operating at the same level as it had been prior to that disruption. So let's let's talk about some of the specific instances where you've seen people, your clients use this uh, facility, if you will, and it strikes me as what, what's happening is people are being their own bankers. That's right. Is that fair? That's exactly, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a perfect way to encapsulate it. So tell us uh, some examples of, of how this is used in your experience. I've had one, re I've had a number of instances. Probably the recent one is a client using his portfolio to build a storage center. You know, he had a couple choices. You could do a construction loan, which are difficult to do, you can do them. Not a lot. You know, there are banks that do it. Some of the smaller ones. But finance your own construction. Finance then your own then construction. Then get a permanent right, loan when you're done. Make a permanent loan when you're done. When it's stabilized, a, a lot of the banks are a little hesitant when, when projects aren't stabilized and and stabilized meaning that they have current income coming in and it's to pay the bills. Uh, so he he used his portfolio. He had probably about four or five million, and we we're able to lend say seventy percent of his portfolio. So again, he avoids capital gains, cashing it in because he's going to make a lot more money on that storage center once it's up and stabilized, or if he sells it to a REIT. So his strategy was to build these storage centers, sell them, build, sell, build, sell. And he, he did terrifically over the last several years. But his first couple storage centers were built on his margin account. And, and what's, what's the term of a, of a uh, credit facility like that? So if he's doing something like that, to the, the construction portion is normally interest only. So that could last a year to a year and a half if it takes that long to build. Once it's stabilized, or even after a year and a half to two years, it converts to, say, a five- or seven-year note. We normally amortize it over 20 or 25 years. So we can have a, a – normally it's a floating rate, again, on LIBOR. Today's environment, uh, we've changed a lot what we do in terms of what we call swaps and things, and more sophisticated ways of fixing the rate. We can actually quote fixed rates on these now. For folks, years ago, it was more difficult to give a fixed rate. It was usually floating unless they wanted to do a swap. Swaps have become very – 
convoluted for individuals. So we've now are offering fixed rate terms, five, seven, 10, and there's some banks out there doing a 10, 15 year fix. And, and you're doing project. it on these, on these kind of loans? Yeah. Fixed yeah, rate? Yeah. We'll, even, we'll, even though LIBOR may fluctuate? Even though LIBOR may fluctuate, we'll lock him in, say, for, say if he wants five year money, we'll give him a quote. However, there are penalties to get out of that. So if you pay that off early, you're stuck paying us a pretty hefty penalty, whereas a LIBOR floating loan, they're normally simple interest, meaning you can pay it off anytime you like. And, and how often, I mean, LIBOR, I think there's a new rate every day. Am I right? No, about no, that? It, it changes when the Fed changes. So if we recall okay. a few weeks, was it a few weeks ago, the Fed went down ago. a quarter. Right. And that immediately changed LIBOR, that short, so the shortest term rate we have out there, that and prime adjusted accordingly downward. Okay. So but, it's, but, but it's LIBOR tight. Won't, but LIBOR won't adjust unless, unless the Fed decreases or increases interest rates. Okay. So, so it can be Usually. fairly stable. Yeah. It has been. You can you know, obviously look and see what the history has been. Um, but it, it, uh, it is still cheap. Okay. Do people use it for personal things, like um, building a vacation house or buying a vacation house? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Buying yachts, buying airplanes. Actually, so one of the other success stories, This we, we can't claim credit to us, but this was one of our colleagues in Miami. <clears throat> there was an individual who had, and so this is this is kind of something I alluded to earlier. It's not just sort of your traditional equities um, and other assets that people are using for uh, leveraging credit, but in this case, there was an individual who had a, a valuable art collection. So art, fine art, uh, paintings and such, is increasingly an area because it's in you know the masterpieces especially are in sort of dwindling supply they're not they're you know, they're, they're no more, they're no more rembrandts because of uh you know although there's one more da vinci right? there is some you know, my kid's a very good artist but no there is um you know these as an alternative asset for truly for investment purposes um you were increasingly seeing a lot of money going into you know this area and so we had an individual wealthy individual who wanted to buy uh, to build hotels and uh, getting hotel loans is very difficult post-08 for a number of reasons, which Alan can, can kind of delve into if you're curious. Um, but what the individual did instead was essentially put up their art collection and uh, borrow against it. They didn't even have to take it off their walls. Um, it didn't have to go in a storage facility. It didn't have to go you know, under armed guard. Uh, it really was just a, a team. We, the bank happens to have an expertise in this specific area especially. Team went down, assessed what uh, this individual had there is you know they there there's a diversification all kinds of considerations in the art world that they make in order to figure out how much capital this can unlock and at the end of the day the individual the the borrower was able to uh create to build hotels just and, and based still on the art collection. and still enjoy his art and right. still enjoy his art and, it never and, has to come off the walls and not have to worry about going through the construction process can be that can be quite arduous as far as getting it approved going through the steps Uh, and the expense of doing that. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We are talking today with Alan Hamer, Senior Vice President, Private Client Manager with Bank of America Private Bank, and Itai Tsur, Senior Vice President, Private Client Advisor with Bank of America private bank. And our topic today is sophisticated uses of credit. So it, it sounds like a, a, a client of yours doesn't necessarily have to have a brokerage account with the right. bank, but there are other things that you will make these kinds of loans on. Sure. So yeah. besides a, a brokerage account and art, what other things do people use to um, secure or collateralize these loans? Well, if, again, there's a number of things they can use. Talking about using their portfolios to well, do something, or, or are they talking well, about other assets? You'd mentioned hedge funds, I think, when we were talking a while back. Um, 
I guess that's part of a portfolio, an illiquid part of a portfolio. Debt. Yeah, well, sometimes with a, these are a little more sophisticated means. Uh, if folks are in a, a part of a hedge fund and uh, their liquidity is tied up, there are times that we can go and possibly use the, the portions they have in their hedge funds to to possibly unlock. That's a, it's a little more complicated on, on that or, or private equity that some folks are investing in. Or we may lend to a hedge fund if, who are looking to do capital calls. That's probably more typical of what we would do if we're looking at a hedge fund. Do, do you lend to uh, estates or trusts that may be illiquid at the moment? We do if they have a tax problem. And again, it's usually based on their portfolio. So if they're usually it's a liquidity it's a, problem. Yeah, that, you have to have some you know collateral of, of sort. Uh, and normally the banks love the liquidity, you know, liquidity uh, ability to to know that if something happens, we have access to, to right. funds. So we, Itai talked about um, lending against artwork, which. Mm -hmm is not immediately liquid, but presumably masterpieces have, right, have a ready right. market. How about other collectibles? Cars, coins, we, jewelry, we've been asked guns? That. Yeah. Th those, those are great questions, and we haven't gotten there yet. We've been asked by a number of clients if we would consider it, and I think uh, there's an individual here that could probably talk to that as far as maybe in the future. Uh, cars or fine jewelry may be an op option for us, but right now it still isn't. I, I don't know if there are other banks that are doing that or other institutions yeah but I, I i would think in the future um if you had sort of i think adam you went to a car show recently the did, fame, yeah. a fancy car show on the west yes, coast the concourse de la Gance. that's yeah. right Pebble so Beach. there are there are cars in the nine figures right so oh, yeah. uh, so <clears throat> my guess is if uh if if in a borrower had that uh certainly there would be an effort to see what could be done about borrowing against uh, it Though I can say that if someone has these collectibles, they have a pretty strong balance sheet. It is possible we can do what we call an unsecured loan, knowing that they have these collectibles. They have things that can be liquidated, though it may take some time. So not a lot of banks do unsecured loans, but that is one source of what we do for the right client. Again, based on these same LIBOR uh, type rates? It can be based on LIBOR, yes. Right. What, yeah. what, are the, what are these loans not good for? I, I would say... I, I would never recommend someone to borrow money to then, again, put in the market. That's the true <laughs> purpose of risk. You know, you're borrowing your own portfolio to buy additional, you know, equities or, or, or investments. But I think it, a good use of credit is buying a good asset, a hard asset, whether it's you're doing a mortgage on a house. For some folks like to say, I'd rather pay cash for my house because I'd rather sleep at night. That's a whole other topic we could talk about. However, with a mortgage rate right now at 2.8%, why would you want to pay cash for a house if you're buying a house? Now, you may have the means to do so, and you can take that money and do what you like with it, but if the rates are so cheap, why not use that for a hard asset? As long as it's for a good purpose, I would never say borrow money to go on vacation. You know, or even, I, I, you know, in my younger years, I saw folks b borrowing money to buy diamond rings for their fiancés and things of that oh, nature. Oh, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure some of your clients will ever regretting that. Right. <laughs> Especially <laughs> divorce. <laughs> Marital strife. All right. What about uh, I mean, are there ki kinds of, of, of uses of funds that the uh, you would not really recommend they borrow this kind of money for a pot farm or yeah. A, so uh, there there are, there are a lot of um, every bank's different. And there are considerations in terms of um, you know, there may be things, for instance, uh, like for profit jails, right? They're they're legal. Some banks might just not want to be in that business. So you you know the if someone wanted to borrow, let's say they had a an amazing portfolio, you know, that great, you know, personal financial statement, which is usually sort of what we initially look at to, to assess these. 
uh, you know, where we can go with these uh, with these loans. But they want to borrow it for a cannabis farm, right? There are legal issues, which you guys can opine on far better than I, but they are comp- they're complex. And, that's, you know, that's not what we do. I understand. <laughs> we, we, do so. a, we do estate and trust litigation. We don't, but we in don't terms of, platform. But, you know, it is, it's sort of a gray area in terms of, you know, what you can even do with these. And so I think there, there is an example of some of these kind of uh, more controversial from a, from a holistic standpoint, more controversial uh, uses of, of, uh, of the assets. And so... Um, I wouldn't. I would not recommend it for that. And um, how about how about something like uh, vacant land? Yeah, is is that something you know that may have some value? I can imagine it. It would have some liquidity issues right. if if. Well, there's environmental issues. I mean, there are all kinds of right. issues when you're buying uh, real estate. But we we do have those available vacant land. Normally, we will do a loan on vacant land if the client or applicant is going to build on it eventually. It doesn't have to be right away, but we will lend, say, 50% of the value of, of the land. And, uh, again, as long as they plan on doing something. We're not in it to just lend on vacant land for spec purposes, but we will look at that. Okay. And, and um, since you mentioned it before, what, what's the difference between a margin loan and, and these kinds of alternative loans, these special purpose um, loans that we're talking about now? So a margin loan, if you're borrowing against your portfolio, you can use that money for just about anything unless it's something that creates reputational risk for the bank or, or we feel it's not appropriate, we will not lend. There are times that when someone says they want to borrow money on their home to fund the business, we're even careful about that. They're personal residents and they want to use those proceeds to inject into their business. We actually have, we're very careful on how we do that. But for the most part, they can take the money from their portfolio and do anything that's legal. You know, as, as far as if they want to help the education, if they want to use it for a boat, for any hard asset, because that's really the cheapest use of getting money uh, in terms of borrowing today. But the, the margin rates, to my understanding, are generally your traditional margin rate is much higher yes. than, than what you're speaking about mm-hmm. here. So why, why is that a, a uh, why the distinction there? Is that because the, the customer, the holder of the securities that they're margining sort of has their own control over it? Yeah, there's different what they call margin rates. So if you're at a typical brokerage customer, say at another firm, you can, when you open up an account and say you're self-directed, you're doing your own thing, you have your investments, you can, upon opening that account, have margin, which means you have $2 million in the account, they'll let you borrow a million. No questions asked. However, that's a broker call rate margin rate. That's usually about 5 6%. It's based on a different index. I'm not as familiar with that, but I know it's, it's not as cheap as if you're dealing with the private bank here. So we have folks who have a pretty substantial balance sheet. We're helping families preserve their wealth, pass it on to the next generation, so on and so forth. So our rates are based differently. We also give the folks a little more time if there's a mar- call margin call, like recent happenings for a couple of my clients, we give them several days to cure or to take care of the margin call. If you're in a brokerage account, your rate is higher. There's no control. If you don't cover it that day, they sell you out. They will sell your securities to make sure they cover. In our case, because we know our clients, our rates are lower, and we're able to give them some time to cure the call. Right. And what what many customers don't understand, clients don't understand in the margin situation, is when there's a margin call, as you said, the the bank brokerage firm has the discretion as to what to sell so right. that's right you may you may want them to sell lose all my money.com rather than your home right. depot or your coca-cola stock right. but the yeah. bank has the discretion as to what they're going to sell right right and we have the time 
So, 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 what do you tell your clients to consider when they're thinking about these kinds of loans? I mean, are there issues that they need to be aware of? Are there things they need to go over? Yeah, I, th I think we just don't want to put our clients in a situation where it's not comfortable for them to pay it back, even though someone may be qualified for a loan. You, you can afford to buy a home, you know, today's rates, it's, the rates are cheap, you can get a million dollar home, and can you, can you, there's one thing to get approved by a bank, and another equation is, can you really afford that house because of your lifestyle? So there are considerations beside getting approved, at least on the residential consumer side. When we're talking to our clients, if they're looking to buy a multifamily or an industrial park or a strip center or a hotel, these are sophisticated clients. They know what their return of capital needs to be. I don't need to advise them, is this, is pr is this a prudent ask for you? We'll decide if we can qualify them and if it makes sense from a cash flow and liquidity standpoint. But for the most part, those clients are sophisticated enough if they should do it. The, you know. And then there's just an aspect of sort of preparing them for the process, right? I mean, post-08, it's it's all there's a there's a lot more um, maybe can you can you walk us through and I, I understand <coughs> these are a lot of one-off deals so mm -hmm. there's no one way to go about this but walk us through generically how you would proceed to qualify someone for for a loan like this right so we would want to better understand what they want the loan for uh, we'd want a what we call a personal personal financial statement which sort of gives us from their perspective an initial picture of sort of what their uh, what what their wealth is, what their liquidity is, you know, where their where their money currently is. There's an underwriting process, and that's you know that that takes some time. And you know, having I know I think I refinanced my house a couple of years ago. It 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 is um, it's uh, it is thorough. That's a gentle way of putting well, it. There, yeah, there's, a, there's a saying amongst real estate attorneys that the most complicated transaction there is is, is a house refinancing or yeah. the purchase of a residential home. Yeah, yeah. My, my boss may be listening, so I have to be careful what I say about <laughs> mortgages. Uh, however, with the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, you may know that it has become more difficult to do a mortgage. We are trying to simplify the process, but even if you have $10 million in the bank or you have 500000 in the bank, the process is the same in that we have to collect tax returns, we have to collect business tax returns if you're a business owner, W-2, K-1s, figure out if they have other you know, debt, what that is, how they're paying it back, they have alimony. It gets very complicated on what we have to produce to so-called, I hate to say this, paper the file to make sure we're in conformance with you know, regs mm -hmm. out there. All right, uh, as we wrap up our show, <laughs> I want to give each of you an opportunity to, uh, to give us an example of uh, a success story that you've had or, or one that was not so successful that could have been done differently. Um, Alan, do you want to start? Or? Sure. I right. um, uh, recently had a, a client that was referred by another client, and um, he needed to uh, buy a hanger for his jet. A tough problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> That's terrible. So he had. Uh, Can't uh, wait to hear the success. Uh, this was story. an easy one. This is it comes to my mind easily because it was it was a great deal for us and for him. Uh, he had a pretty large bond portfolio. When we um, because of the size of the portfolio, we were literally able to price the loan at LIBOR plus seventy basis points or 0.7, wow. which is very very cheap money. So instead of him going through all the the process of getting a hanger loan. He didn't want to use his cash. He didn't want to cash in the bonds because of tax implications. And uh, his advisor said that with money being so cheap, borrow it. So we brought the bonds over, put a margin loan in place, and instead of going through the process of 
doing a hanger loan, which takes more time and effort. A hanger loan. A hanger loan. Yeah, yeah, basically. That's a thing. That's a thing. You buy a well, you uh, like a closet for your. Jet yeah, don't you have just, a jet? Um, we're yeah, we're making it at notes. the public airport, like everyone. <laughs> I, pay, I pay cash. I didn't uh, need this, a hanger this, loan. This particular gentleman also owns his own island, so I, he probably could have parked it there. But for here, for the states, he needed somewhere to park his jet, and we were able to do that in probably two or three weeks, which was easy for us and it was cheap money for him he didn't have to cash bonds he could have liquidated easily had enough to do it but right and that's yeah. a great illustration of what we were talking about before which is sort of being your own bank right he was and then yeah. um one of the strategies that you know we're trying to employ to to get more individuals to kind of embrace credit is to work with outside with other advisors uh, registered uh, advisors who don't necessarily deal with credit and are mostly there for the sort of the, the wealth advising and for the investments. And uh, we were working we were working with one and uh, they presented us with a mortgage. It was actually going to be a an, you know, pretty hot, substantial mortgage in Florida. Unfortunately, you know, as we dug deeper in that kind of initial phases, the ownership structure of the assets that would be guaranteeing the mortgage became extraordinarily complicated. And, you know, Alan, with his experience, was sort of very early on said, OK, we need to we need probably to get a real estate attorney to kind of unlock some of this. So it's, it's still an ongoing discussion, but um, you know, it, it, we are, we thrive in kind of these complex situations, but you know, it is, it is, it, it was a very, very convoluted isn't the term I want to use, but it was a very, very complex structure. And so we're you still guys are able to easily deal with yeah, over, extremely <laughs> just just like it's like uh, the you know, just pulling the just thread so, on the just just yeah. but we do have the ability to do more complex loans in our group because of the client you know, the right. nature of the clients that we have so it's not always in the box so it is. right and and i think that's one of the things that's interesting about this which is you know since it's a traditional it can be customized and you can focus exactly on what the client needs and their own assets to structure something that's appropriate for them as opposed to going to X, Y, and Z and your traditional construction loan or your traditional mortgage. Yeah, right. where traditional hangar loan. Yeah, 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 right, right. So that's what we, you know, hopefully we're doing a good job as a team if we look at them holistically and say, listen, you could do what you want to do or we have other alternatives for you that might be a better process and less expensive. Yeah. Um, why don't I get each of you to uh, tell our listeners how they can reach you? Well, I can be reached at Alan.hamer, that's A L L A N dot H A M E R at B of A dot com is probably the best way to reach me. Right. Itai? I can be reached at Itai Tsor at B of A dot com, and that's obviously phonetic. Easy to spell, yeah. It's John Smith in, in Israel. Uh, it's I T A I dot T as in Tom, S as in Sarah, U, R as in Robert at B of A dot com. Okay. As we're wrapping up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com, and remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute, and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Alan Hamer, Senior Vice President and Private Client Manager with Bank of America, and Itai Tsur, Senior Vice President, Private Client Advisor with Bank of America. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X.